Recently, I stumbled upon an article titled, There is one way humans could safely enter a black hole, physicists say, um, by Science Alert. Until now, I hadn't actually read the article, but I was intrigued by black holes themselves. Uh, this article, formulated by two physicists, explained how the spaghettification, or the spaghetti spaghettifying effect... Uh, that occurs within the event horizons of black holes is less pronounced in supermassive black holes than it is in smaller, stellar black holes. Uh, merely just because of their larger size. Um, this incredible article actually inspired me to make an episode on black holes. Uh, we are actually going to discuss the uh, extension of life through the alteration of telomerase. Uh, but I thought this was more interesting. I'm not really a science fiction kind of person or like a technology kind of person. I'm more of a traditional science kind of person. I'm very conservative with science. Well, not conservative with science, but conservative with um, what science I like to cover. Uh, I'm, I'm, that's probably better. Um, the pinnacle of density, black holes are the ultra-dense objects uh, within the universe that stupefy all who attempt to understand them. Uh, in t April of 2019, scientists and radio astronomers around the world came together to share the f world's first image of a black hole uh, in a stunning polynational consortium, as Carl Sagan likely would call it. Uh, these radio astronomers from 20 different countries utilized their radio telescopes to image uh, the black hole in the center of Messier 87, the largest object, at least I think so, on the entire Messier catalog of 110 objects. This consortium uh, used many of the world's uh, most prestigious telescopes, along with atomic clocks, uh, two custom-built supercomputers, so think about that custom built computer at your friend's house and multiply that by about 150,000 uh, and several new computational uh, techniques um, in image ac acquisition and obviously processing as well uh, to take this incredible image of the black hole. Uh, Messier 87 itself, uh, the Messier 87 black hole itself is black but is obviously lit up by an intense glow of radiation that surrounds it. Uh, when I see this, I think about a star being engulfed by this enormous black hole. Uh, the astronomers were able to image the radio waves emanating from this source and capture the black hole itself, uh, specifically the ultra-dark round source existing in the middle of the image. Uh, this image is often considered among the most important images ta ever taken, uh, excluding potentially the first Hubble Deep Field and Pale Blue Dot. Also, uh, Earthrise, that's a big one, but seriously, none of them... N that Earthrise does not pair uh, pale in comparison to uh, Pale Blue Dot or um, the Hubble Deep Field because those were way more profound than uh, even Earthrise itself. Uh, but yeah, it was still quite incredible when that happened. I remember when I, that happened. I was I was in eighth grade, or. Yeah, 8th grade. Um, the astronomers had to rely merely on the immense gravitational pulls from the black holes, which are obvious in and of themselves. Um, even so, this image confirms the existence of black holes, proving the image to be one of the most important images of our time. Um, as was expected through this immense, immense introduction, uh, today we will be discussing black holes, the darkest of the dark in our dark universe. Uh, just as we discussed how the physics of the universe break down near the beginning of the universe in the first, very first episode, actually, of this podcast, uh, the physics of the universe break down at the event horizon of a black hole. And even more so as one approaches the singularity, of course. 
Um, and the singularity is essentially the infinitesimally small and infinitely dense uh, point, basically, dimensionless point uh, that is at the center of this hump of near complete. And I, I'm being very serious when I say near uh, complete darkness. So really, though, like, what is this weird thing that breaks down the physics of nature? Um, a black hole is often defined as a region of space-time whose gravity is so strong and density so dense that nothing, not even light, uh, the fastest existing object in the uh, universe, the relativistic universe, the universe that actually does not defy the laws of uh, the theory of relativity, can escape it. The black hole was first introduced by the English astronomer John Mitchell in 1784. Uh, Mitchell claimed that bodies existed with such gravity uh, that light itself could not escape it. So this was this was a very extreme postulation. It was not. It was a. It was like a conspiracy theory. It, it wasn't based on, like it was more of a like just speculation. Like we have speculation about many different crazy things, like multiverse, string theory, all that crazy stuff. But we right now it's really just merely speculation or like the many worlds interpretation. I mean, there's a lot of mathematical evidence that proves it, but it's like it's still never been directly observed or even really indirectly observed because mathematics doesn't really even mathematics really isn't even indirect observation, to be honest. Um, but yeah, so he basically postulated that an object that has the same density as the sun, but with 500 times the diameter of the sun uh, would have a surface escape vo velocity faster than the speed of light. Uh, Mitchell's equations by which he uh, postulated this hypo hypothesis were mediocre uh, and pre proved to be uh, so once the discovery uh, of light as a wave, basically, by Thomas Young in 1803, dampened in, uh, enthusiasm surrounding uh, Mitchell's hypothesis. I'm not really sure why, but uh, I encourage you guys to look it up. Um, even so, uh, Young was the first to propose that such a body uh, could exist um, and could even be observed through their gravitational effects on surrounding objects. Um, after Young's hypothesis was disputed, the enthusiasm and scientific advancement surrounding this particular concept was non-existent, at least for a century, more than a century. But it, it took a while, let's just say it that way. Um, later on, a man by the name of Albert Einstein came along, of course, proving that gravity does affect photons, and later developing his theory of general relativity, uh, in which he developed field equations that were soon solved by another physicist by the name of Carl Schwarzschild. Uh, the equations describe gravitational fields of a point mass, which is a fake dimensionless point of mass uh, that exerts a gravitational force, and spherical masses, which are real, of course. Um, and a, a point mass is known as an idealization in physics, uh, which is basically an object or paradigm uh, that is assumed under mathematical or scientific conditions in order to simplify complicated concepts. Uh, I will leave a link down below in the description that summarizes this. Um, that goes into more detail it's it's basic it's just it's basically an example it's basically a simplified example so like when we talk about the schrodinger wave equation basically the schrodinger's cat uh thought experiment is a is an idealization that can help uh basically make it possible to understand because i can tell you this right now i would not have understood uh the schrodinger uh, the Copenhagen interpretation of the Schrodinger wave equation before, well, functions before, um, 
that before learning about that because that was a heavy topic in and of itself um, but it gets a lot worse from there and you'll see as you get uh, further into this it gets a lot worse um, but anyways an odd behavior at in the field equations occurred at a point known as the Schwarzschild radius which is still known today um, at this point some of the terms in the field equations became literally infinite um, this newly discovered anomaly helped us discover that the overall density of masses, massive stars like Betelgeuse cannot be anywhere near the density of the sun, uh, at least not that dense in a vast majority of their masses, or they would collapse into a state of infinite density and infinite gravity, also known now as black holes. Um, after this radius was discovered and affirmed and confirmed, um, the physicist, I might say this name wrong, the physicist uh, Subramanian, uh, Chandrasekhar uh, used special relativity to postulate that a non-rotating body of electron degenerate matter, uh, which is a fermionic gas whose electrons are stripped from the core of the atoms, so uh, electron goo, I like to think of it, um, and exists in odd superdense goo of electrons, boom, uh, cannot have a mass above 1.4 solar masses, in meaning 1.4 times the mass of the sun, um, or the solutions in the field equations will warrant terms with infinite values. At this point in the physical world, a superdense object would become infinitely dense and would become a black hole. But he was not correct either. Uh, an example of a non-rotating body of electro uh, electron degenerate mass is a white dwarf. A white dwarf that reaches critical mass, which is the uh, Chandrasekhar, Chandrasekhar uh, limit of 1.4 solar masses, will become a neutron star that is too a stable body. Um, a revisal to uh, Chandrasekhar's uh, inaccuracy was made by three physicists, including J. Robert Oppenheimer, who we discover, or discovered and discussed in episode 17, uh, forming the Tolman-Oppenheimer-Volkov limit, which is also known as the T-O... It's like the... T I think it's a T-O-V limit, but it's mostly known... It's mainly known as the uh, Tolman-Oppenheimer-Volkov limit, uh, which established an accurate upper limit to the mass of a cold, non-rotating neutron star, which is the result of a 1.4 solar mass white dwarf, because that is critical mass. Um... And it basically established a, an upper limit to that, which is like the highest mass and uh, the densest non-black hole substance that could possibly exist. So right below that would be basically an infinitesimally small uh, point below that would not quite render it a black hole, but it'd still be super dense and super massive. Yeah. Um, the limit of this is far higher than 1.4 solar masses. Uh in the Chandra Sekhar limit, clocking in now at around 2.17 solar masses, but it's been altered over time. There's still a margin of error there, significant one. Like, it's just like the margin error of error of the formation of life, 3.7 to 4.1 billion years, or even the origin of the universe, which I think it's like a 1 billion margin of error. I mean, 1 billion years, and meaning 500 million each way. So, and we're saying we're closing in on it. So, yeah. Um, but anyways, later on, physicists identified the Schwarzschild surface of the Schwarzschild radius as the event horizon of the black hole. Uh, the boundary which nothing, not even light, can escape from the gravity of the black hole. Because at the event horizon, the gravity, or the basically the escape velocity of the black hole is exactly the speed of light. 
and if you know that only that things can only move at exactly the speed of light and the escape velocity of the speed of light, they're not going to actually be able to escape it. They'll be going the exact speed of the escape velocity, but they will not be fast enough to leave anywhere. They're just basically counteracting the acceleration uh, as they are being forced down towards the singularity. Um, they're countering it perfectly, but they're not going anywhere. Like, that's basically what's happening. Uh, the black hole theory began to take shape in the 1960s, also known as the golden age of general relativity. Uh, before this period, black holes and neutron stars were theoretical anomalies, but after the discovery of the first pulsar at Arecibo, hashtag rip Arecibo, uh, black holes became mainstream scientific topics. It's crazy to think that it was only 50 years ago that this happened. Uh, as more knowledge was attained surrounding black holes, another theoretical physicist, whom you may, whom almost everyone on the planet knows by the name of Stephen Hawking, along with other physicists, determined the thermodynamics of black holes, including what is known as Hawking radiation, which is a constant yet agonizingly slow form of black body radi radiation that occurs due to thermal radiation. Um, at this point, black holes had been indirectly observed through many different observation and imaging techniques and became fundamental existences in astrophysics. It wasn't until 2019 that it was directly imaged and therefore directly observed for the first time, uh, though still, I'd say it, it had been observed before then just indirectly. Like, we, we, can, we can very obviously see the center of mass in... Uh, we can very obviously see the center of mass of uh, galaxies. Like, it's very obvious. Like, the core of the galaxy is brighter than everything else. Like, if you look at the Andromeda galaxy through a telescope, all you're going to see is, if you're lucky, you'll be able to see the spirals, but only if you're in the darkest sky, like a Bortle 1 sky. But if you're in a Bortle 8 or a Bortle 9, the best you're going to see is the core, because the core is the brightest, and the core is the center of mass, and we pretty much knew based on a bunch of different gravitational inaccuracies that black holes did exist there. Um, but yeah, uh, the fact that black holes had been predicted to exist by mathematics and indirect, indirect observation nearly a century before that had been observed is a testament to the fact that advanced astronomy and physics must rely on math, the only universal uh, language outside of science and the only universal language by which we can communicate with other species of other planets in order to formulate theories and advance the academia, rhymes with macadamia. Uh, so anyways, black holes, we actually probably should get out of the history of them and understand what a black hole actually is, because, I mean, that's what you guys clicked on this episode for, I assume, hopefully. Um, but yeah, so they're very interesting objects, but like, what actually are they? Uh, black holes are the epitome, epitome literally, of uh, gravitational collapse. Uh, there's gravita gravitational collapse from stars to white dwarfs or to neutron stars, but neither compare to the gravitational collapse of a black hole. Now, they don't necessarily form supernova, but they get close. No, they, they, go much, they, go, they go so far that they can't even form supernova, because that's literally what happens. <laughs> that's literally what happened. Uh, what happens. A black hole, once stabilized, is characterized by three and literally only three, this is specifically the rotating form of a black hole, um, is literally only characterized by three essential independent physical properties. These physical properties are mass, charge, and angular momentum, which you should have learned in classical mechanics or whatever physics class you took in high school. Um, as long as the current science is correct, two black holes with the same values for each of these are completely mathematically, scientifically, and physically indistinguishable from one another. 
Uh, black holes are known for the fact that they absorb information essentially forever. Uh, when an object enters the event horizon of a black hole, unless it is literally more massive than the black hole itself, it really wouldn't be able to enter the black hole's event horizon, though, of course, um, it will be impossible for that object to escape. Uh, the event horizon has a gravitational acceleration of exactly C, uh, or the speed of light, or 299,792 kilometers per second, which means that even light itself, when attempting to escape, could never progress closer to freedom from that black hole, as we've discussed earlier. It is the worst possible death. And, like, literally, imagine being a photon and, like, just entering the the uh, event horizon. You are going to spend a, many, a very, very, very long time. Now, relativistically, that is not that long, but... Uh, you're going to spend a very, very, very long time locked up in that black hole. But remember, there's the information paradox, so we always have that to help us. Uh, the gravity inside a black hole is so immense that anything that enter it, enters it is essentially spaghettified. Uh, this can be seen uh, outside of the black hole as dense objects like stars and planets are broken apart into a single ring of matter known as an accretion disk. Uh, bound to eventually reach the event horizon of a black hole, depending, again, on a few different things. But normally, yeah, like, I, I like to think of it this way. Uh, if you're locked in a gravitational, like, de death grip with the black hole, you're screwed. Like, unless you're, unless you have some really incredible momentum, you're screwed. You are absolutely screwed. Absolutely screwed. <laughs> um... But eventually, they reach the event horizon of the black hole and become further spaghettified and lost forever. Or do they? Uh, there are two types of black holes, as I, I alluded to this earlier. Uh, there's a rotating black hole and then there's a static black hole. Uh, static black holes, also known as the Schwarzschild black holes, are different from the rotating black holes in the way that they lack two of the three defining characteristics of rotating black holes. Charge and angular momentum. So they literally only have one characteristic about them, and that is mass. That is the only one, because I'm talking about unique characteristic. So like if it has literally any any static black hole that has the exact same mass, like any two static black holes that have the exact same mass, have the exact same radius, have the exact same circumference, have the exact same area, have the exact same surface area, have the exact same... Um, well, they obviously have the exact same density, the exact same uh, gravitational pull upon other objects, uh, the exact same center of mass. They always have the exact same center of mass, but, like, you know where I'm coming at. Um, another interesting uh, if feature of a black hole, of a static black hole specifically, is that it has a perfect, it is always a perfect sphere. Um, this only can occur, Only perfect spheres can only literally occur uh, with a black hole to my knowledge. Uh, while the rotating black hole has a slightly oblate event horizon, that is because of the angular momentum, that is because of the rotation, um, there's literally not a single object in the universe, save static black holes, that takes the form of a perfect sphere. And this is perfect mathematically. There is one, there's a big difference between perfect mathematically and perfect uh, what you look at. Like, what you look at, perfect, is not perfect. Like, the point of a pen, the point of the pen in which you write on, like, with which you write, is is not perfect. It looks perfect to the human eye, but mathematically it is nowhere near perfect, or microscopically it is not anywhere near perfect. And this is the same thing, like, um, the sun is very close, 
or like the Earth even is, well, Earth is not that close, but the Sun is very close to being a perfect sphere, but it's not a perfect sphere because it is not a black hole. It is not a, and it also has angular momentum. Um, it doesn't have infinite density as, uh, either, so it, it really cannot be uh, a perfect sphere. Um, in the true absolute core of the black hole, there exists a dimensionless point known as the singularity. Uh, the singularity is the point at which the curve in space-time becomes infinite, basically. Uh, we have all seen the images of Earth bending the 2D uh, graph of space-time. Uh, the more massive, and thus the more gravitationally forceful the object, the greater curvature of the space-time. So the further down uh, that goes. I, I like to think of it as like a sock, or like when you... like almost like even a regular bed or like a water bed. I, I, I specifically think about a water bed that's just really flexible. That is a really flexible surface. Um, the heavier thing that you stick down on it, the more that the, um, the more that the object will bend into the, uh, basically create a cave, like cave in the water bed. This is basically the same thing. Think of space time as a water bed. Um, so basically at this point, uh, at the, point of the singularity the curvature of space-time is infinite so it cannot be measured and we can see this through we can see this obviously mathematically uh, this essentially means that the singularity has infinite density uh, it makes sense when one thinks about it and also infinite gravity um, in the absolute middle of each spherical object the densest mass exists it's known as center as it's known as center of mass uh, now think of the core of a black hole. The singularity, an infinite, infinitesimal, dimensionless point with an immensely large mass, of course has an infinite density, and thus an infinite effect on the curvature of space-time. Einstein first postulated the effect of gravity on the curvature of space-time of the space-time continuum when he developed the theory of relativity. Uh, the greater the gravity, the greater the time dilation, which is essentially the same as the greater the speed, the greater the time dilation. It's the same thing, because... I mean, like I like to think of it as... It's just true. It's just true. Um, they, it's space-time continuum. It's all the general relativity craziness. Uh, surrounding the black hole is the ergosphere, which is a region near the event horizon uh, of a black hole in which it is physically impossible to stay put and remain unmoving. Uh, general relativity states that a rotating body will always slightly drag along space-time surrounding it, along the space-time surrounding it, thus forcing unmoving bodies to move. An idealization of this is the fact that a spinning ball moves the air around it and seems to create a small breeze. So it like the that's basically what it is. It forces the uh, air to be displaced and you feel a slight wind as a, re as a result. That's basically what it is, um, except it's much more violent and occurs with insanely fast objects. Uh, near the event horizon of a black hole, um, the drag of space-time is so pronounced that an object must be traveling faster than the speed of light in the opposite direction of the black hole's rotation in order to remain stationary. Now, this is not always true, but, uh, depends on the point in the ergosphere, like in the outer or ergosphere, to believe that you can disconnect and reconnect to magnetic fields, create negative energy, just basically speed it up to 99.87 or something like way up there uh, of the speed of light really close to the speed of light very relativistic speeds and it'll actually escape the ergosphere and create a bunch of energy for humans to uh, obtain uh, that would be pretty cool that would be pretty cool to just do just uh, create 
the mass of the sun, create the energy, the full energy, total energy output of the sun through one magnetic field reconnection disconnection. But obviously this is a very new paper that was just published on it, so it's not necessarily obviously true yet. But yeah, there are quite a few wacky paradoxes and events that exist within the physics of black holes that we will discuss today. Among these wacky paradigms is the information paradox, which has only recently came close to being officially solved, in meaning literally October 2020. The information paradox is an apparent mathematical puzzle that results when general relativity and quantum mechanics are combined in black hole astrophysics. Uh, mathematical results suggest that information is permanently lost upon entering the event horizon of a black hole, but this violates a core concept of quantum mechanics, being that the Schrodinger, uh, being that of the Schrodinger wave equation, which determines that the value of a quantum system at any particular time should determine its value at any other time. Uh, as long as the waveform collapse that results from the quantum measurement does not occur. Uh, it had been believed that once the particles entered the event horizon of their black hole, uh, their information was automatically and eternally lost, which obviously defied the wave function and the law of conservation of information. Uh, this contradiction existed for decades until a unified theory of gravity connecting relativity and quantum theory together, known as string theory, arose. String theory is by far the most well-known and uh, most accepted, even though it's very widely disputed, of all the connectors between the quantum world and the massive world, or the relativistic world and the quantum world. Uh, simply put, string theory postulates that all particles are one-dimensional string-like structures that vibrate. Uh, these vibrations determine properties of particles, like, for example, mass and charge. String theory helped develop the uh, determine that information, unlike what uh, Hawking's mathematical experimentation implied, is conserved upon entering a black hole. Uh, the new theory is standalone, and while it does gain some vital nutrients from string theory, it exists independently of it. Uh, string theory, while it is, is the leading unified theory of gravity, is heavily disputed, as I said, so they try to stay away from it because it's technically unfalsifiable. Um, basically, information that enters a black hole will eventually leave it, and as the black hole gets older, the exodus, the mass California exodus of information from a black hole accelerates, even to the point that particles entering the black hole are spit out. Uh, this new theory is still novel and undeveloped, but it may be the beginning of the end of the information paradox. We discussed earlier how it is possible to enter a black hole safely, but we did not really explain it in depth. Uh, the mass of a black hole is exceptionally important when determining whether one can safely enter a black hole or not. We did discuss how supermassive black holes are more safe than uh, tiny stellar black holes, but we should probably explain it in more detail. Uh, black holes with lower masses, like a black hole the size of the sun, uh, are very small. The event horizon of a black hole like this has a radius of merely two miles. Um, in a black hole as small as this, a person who enters the black hole would be extremely close to the singularity, which is the, bleh, which is the dimensionless point of infinite density. Being so close to the center of gravity, if you were falling feet first into the sun-sized black hole, the gravity at your feet would be one trillion times greater than the gravity at your head. As a result, you will be spaghettified into a strand of particles. In a supermassive black hole, upon entering the, black, uh, the event horizon, you would be significantly further from the center of gravity, the singularity, 
and as a result, the gravity uh, inflicted upon your feet wouldn't be far greater than the gravity inflicted upon your head. Um, this is not pronounced at all on Earth, but in a uh, massive, insanely massive black hole, it is kind of different. Uh, this means that the spaghettification effect is less pronounced in supermassive black holes, and as a result, it may be possible to survive within a black hole. Of course, this is disputed and very novel, but you never know. It is certainly possible that uh, yet another crazy thing could be happening with black holes, and maybe someone, some daredevil will try to enter it and never be heard from again, but maybe they'll just live forever in it. Well... They won't live forever because they're going to die first because they'll probably starve or suffocate or whichever one's first. Um, but yeah, you probably would learn a lot about the black hole, but of course you'd never be able to discuss it with other humans as you are scientifically and eternally, at least in terms of your own lifespan, disconnected from them. Uh, before you go jumping into a black hole, though, make sure it is supermassive and not surrounded by a hot plasmic accretion disk. Uh, heat kills humans just like spaghettification kills humans. Heat kills humans a lot more than spaghettification does, though. Let's just say it that way. Definitely. Um, black holes, in conclusion, really, though, black holes are the future. Uh, they will last far longer than the older stars and the oldest stars and the oldest galaxies. Uh, and will be the final bodies to exist in the ancient universe of tomorrow. For a Google literally years, these immense bodies of ultra-gravity will slowly radiate off their matter through the form of Hawking radiation, and at some point will die out as well. Uh, when the final black holes die out, the final bodies die out. Uh, our universe again will again become a desolate abyss of darkness and nothingness. Uh, are, are you excited for that? Because I am uh, very excited. Don't sense my sarcasm. Anyways, thank you all for listening, and as always, have a good morning, afternoon, evening, and night. Take care and stay curious.